Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. This is a conversation with my friend and returning guest, Christopher Marmalejo of The Red Read. This was maybe the first podcast ever that has been arranged first by psychic conversation, as in we both had the idea about recording a podcast about Pisces and about the Deccans, independently of even really talking to each other about that idea. We had the idea around the same day, and then when we talked on the phone a few days later, you know, it was just a thing. So the quickening, I don't know if something is happening because a lot of these psychic experiences with friends, I feel like just happen quicker and quicker and Pluto's about to enter Aquarius. And I think about the way that we just so quickly can digitally message each other, text one another, and how that form of communication reflects a type of technology that's already in spirit, right? That we can telepathically communicate. I love the experience too of texting or of instant, you know, these DMs, whatever, that um, I feel like a, I'm like talking as though it's like some new thing or something, but whatever, these messages that we get at a digital level, and they may come in to our field of awareness at the very moment that we were thinking about someone, right? And it shows us, the technology shows us the ways that we're already connected. So I didn't think I was going to get into this tangent, but Pluto and Aquarius is on my brain for sure. Anyway, Christopher Marmalejo is a writer, astrologer, and educator investigating decolonization, indigeneity, queerness, and consciousness through tarot. In this episode, we discuss Pisces and the associated tarot cards of the three decans of Pisces. So we have the eight, nine, and ten of cups. And for those of you who maybe haven't heard of decans before, All of the astrological signs are divided into three equal parts, and there are different essences or faces of the sign that come out of those decans. A lot of my learning about the decans comes from 36 Faces by Austin Kopic, you know, as well as what I learned from Christopher. And I've also heard that 36 Secrets by Susan Chang is a good resource as well. If you have Pisces placements, and you don't know the degrees or the decans by heart, I want to invite you to take a moment to see, you know, pull up your chart and see what you have in zero to nine degrees of Pisces, which will be the first decan associated with the eight of cups. What you have in 10 to 19 degrees of Pisces, second decan associated with the nine of cups, and then 20 to 29 Pisces, third decan associated with the 10 of cups. I promise you that If you have Pisces placements and you take a moment to find out what degree they're in, that the insights that we're sharing about these decans and these tarot cards will speak to you, you know, in relationship to those planets. I feel very lucky. I have planets, I have placements in every single decan of Pisces. And so when we talk about a topic like this, it it penetrates my soul. um, And I learn things about these cards and I'm there's a ripple effect that it just has on my psyche and soul that lasts a really long time. Ten of Cups especially has been one that has shook me in the deepest way. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about that in the episode. Understanding the tarot 
and the associated cards and decans has opened up so much richness and deepening of my astrology practice and my self-concept and my understanding of others. If you're interested in learning tarot, I deeply recommend Christopher's courses. I took their course thresholds and that was what really opened up my tarot literacy. In the learning spaces I'm in with Christopher, theirs or mine, people often say Christopher's enthusiasm is contagious, so you know you're going to have a good time too. And that's what always keeps me having them back on the podcast. So before we begin, I have a few announcements. I have a few spots open for evolutionary fusion readings with me this January and February. The link is in the show notes. These are readings grounded in evolutionary astrology, which explores natal charts from the perspective of the soul on a multi-lifetime journey. For those of you who like the technical info, Pluto on the lunar nodes is where we ground that. We uncover a narrative of the major themes you're working with at a soul level, and I call these fusion readings because I'm also integrating things that I'm picking up from Hellenistic astrology, minor asteroids I'm working with, and so on. And then we close out the session with channeling from the Akashic Records, or personalized visualization, or EFT tapping. One of these three, depending on what came up in the reading space. And these latter non-astrological techniques work at the level of opening new perspective or moving stuck emotional energy. They're tools that I use in my life every day and love to combine with astrology. And then February 23rd, Dragon of the Moon and Evolutionary Astrology Initiation begins and goes until June. This is a comprehensive, soulful astrology course in a community previously known as the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive. It's been running since 2018. In this community, you will learn the archetypal, psychological, mythopoetic foundations and techniques of this form of astrology. Beyond learning how to read charts in a more intuitive and integrated manner, my students report having healing and spiritually transformative experiences beyond what they could have imagined when they signed up. The prayer of this course is about connecting you with your own astrological channel, for you to have the click of the transmission which you can continue to deepen long after the class is over on your own or in future advanced programs with me like Meteorite. This is an all-levels course suitable for beginners and depth-oriented enough to fascinate advanced students. You can learn more and apply via the link in the show notes. Earlier the better, as space is limited and the prizes raise after February 1st. The link will take you to more information about the course, student testimonials if you want a sense of how it's impacted others, and I'm excited to hear from those of you feeling the call. We have an amazing group gathering already, and I'm really excited. And with that, I will leave you to this always fascinating dialogue with Christopher Marmalejo. Welcome. I'm back again with our beloved Christopher Marmalejo of The Red Reed. This episode was gestated in the psychic realm because we both had this like fairly specific podcast idea to talk about the three decans of Pisces. We thought about (laughs) it on the same day, out of the blue, like there was nothing really that would have particularly triggered it. Um, And then we confirmed over the phone a few days later that this is what we were indeed doing. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. It's like on on yet another psychic realm, but like, I guess more directly connected in the sense um, that was pretty, pretty magical, honestly, to to see our synchronicity with 
with our own contemplations. Yeah. So listeners um, are likely familiar with you. Um, For those of them who aren't, uh, if you want to share a little bit about yourself. And then I'm also really curious, like, if any recent inspirations have come through with your divination practice, like today or something this week that you'd want to share. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm this is I'm so graciously welcomed each time, and it's always so good to be here. Um, I'm Christopher Marmalejo. I am a writer and a tarot scholar and astrologer, and I use astrology to explore indigeneity, decolonization, mm-hmm. liberation. I use it as a red thread, sort of connecting various pieces and valences of life into something sort of systemic, but also shifting and sometimes disjointed, but also very generative. And yeah, and that's like my work is is committing divination to decolonization to liberation. So hence the red read. Um, and I've been having lovely spreads. I'm not going to lie, like this past week, um, very fortuitous, very generative. Um, I just had, I know we're going to be talking about Pisces today, but I just had my um, Capricorn workshop class with my students a little bit before the solstice, but because of like the holiday season and our own imperfect calendar and whatnot. Um, But just so much was coming through with Capricorn three, which is the four of pentacles um, and the descriptions of that decan and as well of um, the positions of power and holding on to power, but then also, but instead being a generative source of power within the universe. Um, which I see in that card as well. And so that card is sort of spinning in my mind. There's always cards spinning and unlocking in my mind. The cards are keys, as I, as I like to say. I mean, it is said. And um, and so, yeah, so I've been really thinking about legacy and also like just that long-term kind of Capricorn plant planning. Capricorn season is activated. We are like, it's my ninth house of like teaching and divination and writing and whatnot. And they have all been very relevant themes. And so meditating more specifically on the cards associated with Capricorn season has already been rich and fruitful. We're not even there yet, (laughs) but yeah. Wow. I love that. I have, um, you know, ever since I took your class, like the tarot has unlocked and unlocked and unlocked and it's just become part of my daily life and something that um, I've been able to combine with astrology and have all of these openings and revelations. Um, So I'm always deeply appreciative of your course and like the way that you transmit this like access to tarot literacy and like really bring it down to a lot of different associations, just like everyday life, but also like art and culture and astrology and everything. Like, um, I just love it. It's been life changing. Thank you. So part of the, um, yeah, I'm going to be thinking about that, the four of pentacles part too. Like I can feel it stirring and brewing (laughs) something. Um, Part of inspiration for talking to you about Pisces was that I watched your TENS workshop on Pisces where you go over the decans, the three decans of Pisces, and you've been doing that through the whole zodiac. And for Pisces, you brought in, um, like you've been bringing in like literature, critical theory for all of the signs, and you brought in Joseph Campbell for Pisces. And there was, you know, a lot that you were sharing about this connection between like an internal photographer, like that's the image, like the the person who visions, the person who sees and that which we're beholding and the 
relationship between the fantasizer and the fantasy and like the way that those two things feed each other. Um, And as someone with a ton of Pisces placements, one of the big themes of my life has been um, relating to my dreams, my desires, right? And seeing how sometimes a particular dream isn't accessible at some point. It's like maybe it's a relationship where I've placed like this whole future, this vision of like what my life would be like with someone and then the relationship falls away. And so I've had to like really grapple with, okay, if I'm not, if that pathway toward that dream or that thing I'm envisioning is no longer there, then how do I relate to this whole mystical realm that I contacted without it just being straight up gone? Um, And so there was something that you said uh, specifically for the nine of cups, I think it was, where like, you know, you're talking about this like almost like half and half relationship between the person, you know, the visioner and that which we're contacting and the way that we can get so confused within Pisces of like really putting ultimate meaning on something that we are feeling mused and inspired by, um, seeing it as God. Um, Mm. So... Mm. Mm. I hear like I heard a lot of eight of cups in your initial statement too of like um, finding a new pathway after maybe sort of like or had, finding a new pathway to keep from falling off the edge of disappointment into the abyss of despair and um, despondency, right? And I think that eight of cups is that like well it's that drop down into the world. It's that initiation of like you cross the threshold and you're like okay. I have to, like, I'm holding on to the substance or the essence of the desire of the dream of the fantasy, but distilling and separating that from the form that I had that attached to that. I think in the nine of cups, as you're saying, um, yes, definitely is this encounter where you're like seeing the form look back at you and you're seeing, um, you're seeing the external and there's a moment of reconciliation between like the external and the internal, the substance, um, and the sort of vehicle, if you will. And so it is one of these cards, like for me, nines are are about virtue and the, the virtuoso, like the hermit is like the par excellence, like seeker and pilgrim and prophet and diviner. And they have gone through all the initiations of the nines, like there are these squares, right? Of the mutable signs, which are Gemini, Jupiter, which for me are such world builder planets like they're such like the you know these world world weavers um and we see that in the nine of cups where there is this inner confrontation with uh your own internalized kind of god form you know your own image of the divine and there's a hubris temptation there of course that the shadow of that card is like smug is often one of them is one of the you know connotations of that card where you confuse your image for the almighty um, or the, your desire, you confuse like the uh, the container for the essence to be this like to be where it stops, you know, like not just simply like one cup or one vase or one emanation, um, but sort of be- making it hierarchical or just like exclusive. Exclusive, it leads astray, and then you know, it lead, like Mars is a, a ruling planet of like the Ten of Cups, the last decan. And whatnot, and that dream can be shattered, and and there's humbling, and and like there's a um, there's a surrendering, but then there's also a taking responsibility for yes, your own perception, and like having that moment where, um, as Toni Morrison says, like the the subject of the dream is the dreamer, you know, and like sometimes you get so caught up in like the dream narrative, the fantasy pursuit, 
that you're like you're lost in the own labyrinth of your of your creation you know you get lost in your own thing you're like wait i i fucking built this shit like i can make a (laughs) a a new pathway or i can like reorient like you have the power you're not it's like we forget that once we get so deep into that kind of pisces swirl if you will that the desire originates within us yeah Yeah. (laughs) so to give people like some keys for pisces um i'm sure a lot of people listening have like an understanding of pisces um, and even so, like, perhaps we can just, like, unfold a few, like, recent ways that we've been talking about this sign. Um, one of the things that inspires me a lot about Pisces is, like, the straddling of the realms. Like, there's always, like, it's like where the ocean touches the shore. It's like the edge between birth and life or life and death. Like, there's a liminality of, like, realities within Pisces and often like a sense, you know, Pisces rules the feet and we could say like having a foot in one world and another foot in another Um, and left kind of like unchecked or like without skill sets, there can be a sense of escapism or being lost or being confused or there's like a despair to have such a vivid dream world, but then not, you know, to feel like, oh, my dream world's in like full technicolor, but my life is like, (laughs) you know, dull and has no color. Um, Mm. and kind of the sacred call of Pisces is to weave that dream into reality. And yet like dream, the dream space is illogical or like it's confusing or it's beyond. And so there's, I think often like a, a wandering or an adrift energy to Pisces and like this longing and this yearning and also like a total dissolving or like realization of the sublime. So as I navigate my own kind of Piscean waters, it's like spiritual awakening and disillusionment and despair and ecstasy and despair and like this whole like washing machine. It's like I even forgot recently that Pisces is emotional. Like I was like, (laughs) I kept thinking about Pisces as like so mystical. And then one day it kind of like hit me of like, oh yeah, it is a super emotional sign how did I forget that? And like these, you know, profound (laughs) existential emotions of like life is worth living. My dream is coming true or like everything's so beautiful or like, what's the point? I don't know if I can do this anymore. (laughs) And like the vacillations between that. Mm. Um, Mm. And in there, I think is a search for meaning or a search for, but yeah, it's Mm. also one thing I'll say before I had this question some years back of like, is the point of life to be like quiet and not make a single splash. Like, I feel like I know how to like sidestep and skirt confrontation and be so evasive and slippery and just not insert myself into reality and be this witness, you know, and to like really receive all of these images and pictures and not disturb other people, not tell people what's on my mind or not insert my desires into the situation. Like, is that how I should walk? Or should I take everything that's inside of me and make this huge splash? in reality. Mm. And I posed this question Mm. to um, a friend who told me he like lit up and he was like, the first thing you said about like slipping through reality and not making a splash is being really close to death. Like while we're here on this plane, we are supposed to actually really be here. So choose Mm. the second one. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And I just thought that, yeah, right. You know, I had some moments, like when I was younger, I had a lot of 
witness consciousness energy and I would be like a writer and like an observer and I would have conversations with people where I would hardly say anything and they would just tell me their whole epic life story and I would be inspired as a writer, you know, but I wasn't really there. Um, mm. And I attribute that a lot mm. to my Pisces placements and it's been a journey of like actually really weaving myself and my inner world into the physical concrete reality, bringing my dreams mm. to life in that way. I mean, wow, so much there, so much of the Pisces absolute spirit came through. I heard like this also reckoning with a Cassandra syndrome, you know, like this, should I say these visionary kind of prophetic future worlds that you're opening to? Because I think also what you're speaking of is like um, our imagination is so necessary for like world building. Yes, obviously, but I also think that the imagine it's like the muse we court the, the imagination is a uh, what you call when the muse when you're open to the muse right and so like there is that seeing of a future that then can be you can like we can become conditioned to doubt ourselves or to not yes say anything in order to stay within the like the confines of the world that we've been socialized in um and a lot of what i've heard what, what i heard from you was like saturn specifically like the handoff from well Saturn ruling Capricorn, as we were mentioning earlier, but also that first decan of Pisces. And so you almost get like a little micro like distillation of the Saturnian process of world building and like um, where that anchor is or you're seeing like you're saying you're seeing the fruits of your your dreams. You're seeing your uh, your heart, you know, come into fruition and manifested reality around you. And that is like such a a global thing to pursue that I think it then goes back to Jupiter with like, we're talking about the search for meaning, like, which is all what Jupiter is. It's like this whole exist, like, you know, if you're having an existential crisis, Saturn, you know, but also Jupiter, like Jupiter is that bomb that's like, hey, here's, here's the reason, here's the why. And it takes um, like a global sort of consideration rather than like maybe lifting your head up in Sagittarius, you know, it's diurnal sign that it rolls your you're looking inward in your heart and you're doing soul searching and you're gaining like an interior, like an interior global awareness of the reason for incarnation. And that does become like where you're mo like water. So I think of those emotions like, yeah, you get in there, you know, you start getting in the ocean and you're experiencing, you know, all of those like typical emotions. But the deeper you go, the more mystical it becomes and the more that you get to like the center of creation, of death, of like this portal that is that is the ocean, you know, the primordial waters and all that. Yeah. yeah, I know with all of that emotion and this kind of like boundarylessness or this mystical quality of Pisces, it is really interesting to think about like how to dream well and how to wake up from dreams. Because like not all of our dreams are really supportive or creating what we actually desire. And I think that reminds me of like the Eight of Cups because I... I feel there's so much in that card about like waking up from something or like seeing the conf the confines of what one is living in, right? And like the ways that we believe that that's reality or we start to like wake up from like this may not be all that there is. Um, mm, yeah, yeah, you hit like the invisible walls where you're like, you're, you're meeting the labyrinth. I remember last Pisces season, I was in San Francisco and the city itself is such like a eight of pentacles, like Pisces one labyrinth and maze. And you're like, it's it was night and there's like 
drunks, you know, it's like drunks and mystics and like which one's what's true and what's deceitful. And there's like illusion because it's night and it's shadowy and there's confusion and and there's real structures, though, that have been like you're the pinball moving around. And you're like and that makes me think to Jupiter um, being the ruler and the the wheel of fortune in the tarot. Right. And so there is this sense of like wheel of fortune, like deal or no deal. Like there's like death and reincarnation. There's um, going around the block, like doing the loop over and over again until your consciousness starts to evolve and grow. You know, oh, and so like the, that the wheel of fortune over is and like over again until your consciousness yeah. grows. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, that wheel of fortune is like it's a big omen to pull and to get in that Jupiter because it's like, oh, you're in a pattern if you're pulling the Wheel of Fortune. You're like, and it's like, have awareness. Like, whoa, you're recreating some sort of karma or dharma. Like there is that and then in different decks, like sometimes it's like the karma wheel, <laughs> you know, and like the capriciousness of fate and just randomly up one moment down the next versus like the dharma wheel, which is about um, choosing a certain level of incarnation or a certain, you know, physical experiences at a soul level pre like you know determining for yourself like you're going to, to experience certain things um in order to like get you aligned to your path you know and so that wheel can be disorienting until you find your sort of still center and that center is i think so much of what that eight of pentacle i mean eight of cups figure journeys towards they're like where is the where's the control room in here you know like where's yeah. the center of the labyrinth right wow yeah this has me thinking about I think there's this, even like within astrology, there's the like fate versus free will question. And we start to look at our circumstances. And when we're looking at our circumstances from the perspective of like, how have I taken part in co-creating it? Right. And then there's also circumstances that are like social, systemic, and then at a soul level, like how like what is this reflecting in my own like personal history or like these kinds of questions where we're trying to understand just like why, like why am I stuck in this way? Why is reality this way? Or like why do I, you know, get my hopes up in this certain way and lean into a life circumstance and then it explodes and then I'm disappointed and then I get my hopes up again and like that's like the wheel, you know, whatever it is that the pattern that we're running over and over again. And to start to gain like the clarity around it, I think is such a Saturnian or such a sobering process because it's not necessarily like the answer yet. It's not necessarily a reversal of like, oh, I've my dreams have come true. Like I'm out of the pattern. It's just the moment of like awareness within it that suddenly makes way for like something to turn and like the story to actually shift. Yeah, I feel that with... um you know, especially the Matrix, which is such like, you know, it, it's like, oh, no, the, the wreck it has had on culture. Anyhow, but just like many people have that initial we're in the Matrix, we're in a Matrix kind of moment and they and they fret about and they feel powerless. And that's very valid and that's very real. And the Wheel of Fortune, of course, is how we deal with like apparent random circumstance, such as your birth, such as, you know, city and history and all these things that you did not control the question mark or whatever. Right. Um, but that. But that the will of fortune in Jupiter, as we're talking about, is world building and world weaving. And I'm also like shout out like Ari Felix, because I know like she does a lot of like work around this, you know, and like her dream building, you know, area and whatnot. So just shout out Ari. Um, but that 
the Wheel of Fortune in Jupiter is like a part of that is teaching you the nature of the spheres is cyclical, is seasonal. And so that we're not also berating ourselves for um, we're, we're able to discern and distinguish like when we're repeating a pattern and stuck and feeling like we're bound to the wheel, like we're bound to fate, like we're just like at the mercy of what comes and goes in our life or um, instead noting like, oh, this is just my season of ebb or like this is like you're just like <laughs> world building like is spherical one like it just like that car teaches us like we have to have like the high point, the renewal point, the death point. You almost like, you know, if you're you're building your own matrix um, to account for that type of spiralic soul growth rather than like um, being bound to the thought that there's just like linear A to B solution and answer and and whatnot. Right. Like you're just like once and done. It's like, no, there might be a season of mourning or what have you. Like you might just always have like this, you know, this kind of bottom dropout moment, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're in the same circumstance or the same situation as you were before with that same level of awareness. Now you might be um, using that to your own benefit or just accommodating that in, in holding and like circling around this great meaning. Like I think like something like is deeply meaningful as a reason for incarnation. It, you never hold it. You're never like, here's the, you know, here it is. I mean, we can say like, you know, to love or to heal or find wholeness in these things, but that, is so overwhelmingly complex that you just have to continuously like um, revolve almost around it to get like a full global 360 kind of perspective of of that fullness of it, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. It's having me think about pattern work and um, like one of my teachers, Perry Chase, like encourages us to track our patterns and like say them, you know, like actually write them <laughs> out. And that part of that mm -hmm. practice is that I mean, for one, if we're in patterns and we don't even have awareness of them, we keep playing them out and often we'll project other reasons that these things are happening of like, oh, it's this other person or it's this. And we're not realizing our own part in like keeping that wheel turning in that particular way. Then once we start to track our patterns and know what they are, we start to see ourselves inside of them. And then we even see ourselves perpetuating them of like, oh, this moment came up. And like there was a fork in the road and my pattern is to, you know, oh, act like it's fine, but I'm actually upset, but I'm going to hide my emotions and just like whatever. And then the moment comes up and it's like, there I am doing that pattern again. But that with enough awareness, suddenly you start to pick the other way where it's like, I'm going to mm -hmm. break and interrupt the pattern and like support my own liberation in this moment. I'm going to speak the truth or say something in this moment that feels interruptive, both to my own pattern and like will actually change my reality. But it's like, that process of being with the circling um, until mm. there is that breakthrough. And I think if we think about Saturn connected to that Deccan, I think a lot of what prevents people from shifting their patterns is simply shame, like the shame of confronting, mm. oh, this is like where I'm at, or this is the way I act in these situations. This is how I act mm. under this particular kind of pressure. And to actually mm. look at it and reckon mm. with it you know, is a form of like responsibility. I think that we see in this mm. like Deccan. Mm, yeah. Take in for sure. I love that. Cause then Saturn responsibility and like Pisces, your dreams, like really taking responsibility for that will for it's like, what are you, 
what have you been putting in and what are you getting back out? Like, <laughs> you know, we, we think of seasons and harvesting in very positive ways. It's like, okay, you work the land, you get the fruit. You know what I mean? You, you harvest, you get the payback. Like we understand that and we want that process just kind of continually refreshing our output with our input. Um, and so the, the Saturn, the Saturnian like and harvest and all the things, but like taking, taking responsibility for your dream, I think is, yeah, absolutely to reckon where, You've given over power. You think that you have absolutely no power, that you don't have a spark of the creator consciousness or ability within you to to sort of build your own world. You know, um, that is something to reckon. That is something to take accountability for. And I think that 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 has happened, like in that eight of cups, like for when you're pulling that card or when you're doing that work, if it's coming up for you, you're like you've crossed that threshold. You're on the other side of that river. You're no longer like the eight of swords, like bound and you know, Gemini one where Jupiter is also where Jupiter is in and you're like powerless and you're like waiting for someone to come and save you. That eight, By the time you get to that eight of cups, you were, I'm saving myself. I'm going to go There's confront like Oz. You know what I mean? There's like a deserter energy <laughs> of that card. There's like a walking mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot mm-hmm. of the Absolutely. eight of cups depictions have someone like, you know, sadly walking away, like turning away from the cups, you know, at the beach and they're just, yeah, walking in the other direction. Yeah. And they're like a stable, they're walking away, like the cups are typically stacked in a stable structure, like Saturn also. So there is like a resolution or there's just like a, excuse me, a lightning of baggage, like emotional baggage that has happened, you know, where there's some sense of like closure as an artifice, you know what I mean? Like there's no real closure in a sense, like things come up as we're saying, but there can, there's a moment of like putting that away, you know, and just. And and walking towards something rather too. It can be walking away, but also there. It seems like they're walking towards um, some inner, some inner place. Right. Yeah. And then what happens in the Nine of Cups? And then in the, and then in the Nine of Cups, um, <laughs> this you will see this. Like if you tune in to you know these frequencies and you pay attention to the media that you're consuming or just like the myth, like these things so (laughs) constantly in the the collective psyche, um, whether intentionally or not. And so anyhow, this is like where you meet your maker, the Nine of Cups. And typically it's, well, in the Matrix, it's like the old white guy in the like video room, you know, in the Westworld, Dolores like sits across from herself and realizes it's like her own voice that's been calling her forward. We see the image of God based upon our ethno- orientation like our ethnographic um conception like our own it's dependent upon our culture upon our time upon our place the image that we're given to god like is an icon so it's meeting an iconography of the divine Um, and so it's important to realize that that it is such and that that icon can be a, a vehicle for like the totality of god which is incapable of course of being in a form you know it's like formless like everything that is um, and where people go wrong again is where they're like soul God, like this is the one true God or what have you, not recognizing that like that same energy is going to be, is, is going to translate and is going to, um, look and be in relate, like it's just going to be different in a different culture in a different time period and whatnot. And so I think the, that key of that mutability of Pisces and Jupiter, um, is that kind of also translation, like literally going into a new dimension and you're like, oh, okay, here's the creators of this dimension, if you will. Like there's constantly like dimension jumps <laughs> or what have you. Um, and so 
I call that card like the God mirror within, you know, it's like where you recognize that again, the source, like you are the source of your desires. And I think sometimes like, especially within the cups um, and within the, within the failure of their realization, we're like, why do I want this thing? Like, it would just be so much easier with my life if I didn't have this compelling thing, like driving hunger within me to just like seek the realization and satiation of, you know? And so um, I think it's like that moment where we realize and accept like, oh, this is just coming naturally as a need within me. Mm -hmm. And you can embrace that need, not as like, you can elevate and respect and honor that like, deeper heart calling is something divine within you like that was something like god put in you wow and so it's a way to like heal that shame as you were talking about earlier you know yeah okay there's so much that i'm thinking about like one i was just thinking about like a dream image of like seeing oneself in the mirror um which i don't think is i mean for me i've had that dream very rarely but when i have had it it's a signal to me of like oh i'm entering a new phase of my like evolution mm. or something. Like I saw myself in the mirror. That means something in a dream. Mm. And then I was thinking about like the separation from one's dreams that happen when we like, we want something or we have these dreams, but we're in this matrix set up where we feel distant from it. And then the nine of cups as that like moment of actually seeing face to face that which we've been calling in. Um, and what are the subtle energetic shifts that even make way for that? And you're speaking to like, you know, the desire is within us or like we are the answer. Um, and I think that it's a very simple, it's a very simple spiritual lesson that people go on epic quests to even find, right? Mm -hmm. Like it reminds me of the hero who's like, going on this huge mission, but they discover at the end that there's something inside of their very own heart that is like literally the key to the situation, even though they went on this whole external journey for it. And it has me thinking too about how, um, as I started to study like natural law and like the mystical ways of the universe, earlier in my life, I tried to use that information to like get the things I wanted where I was like, okay, this is how the game works. Let me play it, you know? And it, it didn't work mm -hmm. out for me super much because it was coming from a place that wasn't fully aligned yet. Um, and so even if it's like, you know, that learning of like, oh, if you love yourself, you'll find relationship because self-love magnifies love on the outside. So it's like, okay, if I love myself, that means that I, and I like, you know, come up with things that prove that I love myself and act out those activities, <laughs> you know, versus then like slowly finding my way into like real moments of like, wow, I'm like touching this like deep internal place within me. I'm like with myself deeper than ever. And then like suddenly I'm like falling in love the next week or something. It's just like that quick, you know, and yet it's not easy to find that deep inner thing and like really build a relationship with it inside of ourselves. And then once we mm. do, it seems to really quicken the pace of the universe, like gifting us the answers or, I mean, the realizations of our dreams and granting our wishes mm. and whatnot. But like, mm. yeah, it's a different, oh. the tone shifts from the eight of cups to the nine. Well, I mean, yeah, it's like the wish fulfillment card, you know, it's like, 
the genie card, which I have like I've, I'm writing a lot about, and I have so much thoughts on um, in terms of like the jinn versus genie and like the do ex machina function and device and whatnot. And the cards themselves is this magic lamp that we can call and someone God sort of at will for divine intervention and whatnot. But the like, yeah, that shift from, I mean, it's a shift from Saturn to Jupiter, you know, in terms of like the rulership between these two cards, a definite tone and vibe shift where Saturn, I think so much of it is, is like the rooting work. Like you really have to like, yeah, pierce through the kind of social cultural strata that you just have been like conditioned and like poured into and inundated with as a body of desire. Also, there's also parsing apart, like, is this even my soul desire or is this just like, you know, media <laughs> that is like telling me to um, invest in a, an aesthetic of white supremacy or something, you know what I mean? Or like capitalism and like all this hyper excess, right? And in that Eight of Cups card as well as like the spiritual path is not something we walk occasionally for the realization of, a, of like a material desire you do like that's like a devout card that is like the seeker card you know you're not just like on a whim let me try you know this like spiritual practice you're like i need a system to like get me to truth like i need some answers spirit about why i'm here like i am typically like despairing and you know disappointed and all the things and confused um and i think that like there that is a challenging moment but there really are real like rooted like you can root in seriously beneficial spiritual practice and ways of being and living and moving through the world that then when you know it's all there's like a root system and there's tenderness and there's care and you're you're sensitive to the subtle shifts in the unseen realms um that the material fruition yes begins aligning and like when it manifests you're it's so much more satisfying because it's not hollow it's not like it's not this thing that you were, you know, it's just like you're, you, you know, for a fact that this is the fruit of your own spiritual path and walking and practice. And that's so satisfying and it's so fulfilling. Um, that nine of cups, like Austin cops, Austin Coppett calls it like the Indra's net, right? Like getting like this net of like gems of stars of like all the beautiful riches. I mean, Jupiter rules it. Jupiter, like super strong in that, in that 10 degrees, like super distilled and potent for um, the manifestation of, of dreams and wishes wow. and miracles. Another way that that's um, having me think about this is like in the Eight of Cups, I feel like a struggle to meet one's desires. Like there's a sense of like I'm stuck in a labyrinth and like I feel trapped to some degree of like these circumstances don't reflect like the deeper thing inside of me and like how do I escape? Um, and then the Nine of Cups is actually a moment mm. of receiving and being met. And I think about how, like, desire can be challenging to have a relationship with and to hold because there can be this fear of, like, well, I can't have it. It's not allowed or I can't get it or it doesn't work out for me. And, like, we've had that patterning of, like, I really want this thing and it's just not happening. And so it hurts to even, like, relate to it versus the moment where, like, all of that rooting work, as you were talking about, and, like, things have set into motion and like we've been on the path that when we do receive, it's like this deep spiritual awakening inside of that reception because we're being like, you know, our cup is being poured into by the universe or poured into. Um, <laughs> it's like a weird <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Um, yes. But yeah, cup being poured into and that sense of being like 
in this moment of realization through the physical. Like it's not just that we have this dream or like we're thinking about something. It's like life is actually reflecting something to us that we've held deep inside. And I think there's something about that that is life affirming or affirms that God is good or life is good. There's like a faith restoring that can happen in that. I love that. I love that so much. It's making me emotional and so sweet and just like so like fuel for staying on the path, you know, because like who knows how long it can take to, um, I think spiralically like back to the wheel and with like Jupiter there, I mean, the nine of cups is like octaves of fulfillment and like satiation. You know what I mean? Like I do know like moments where my dreams have come true. Like that card has come with like I'm not going to share them here yet, but like real dream moments coming true. And um, I think it's like when you pull that card, it's like vision board, you know, like truly, (laughs) truly or make a wish, like orient your life to not just surviving, you know, and getting out and getting free. But like, what does fulfillment look like? Like are anchoring and orienting yourself towards that North Star. That is a massive pivot. Like that's a massive change. And that is such a like like a permission Giving It takes so much work to even give yourself permission to hold hope in your heart, to like hold a dream in your heart that you were like, this is going to come true. Like I, I have, and then, and then it does. And then it's like time to dream bigger, bitch. You know yeah. what I mean? Like time yeah. to keep dreaming. You know, it's interesting too, like these moments that I've had of wish fulfillment um, melt me. Like there's some softening that happens with it. But I think about like, the part of my soul that knew all along that I was meant for that, but was stuck in the confines of time and just like the simple development mm. of my human personality. Like I really feel like just, yeah, earlier in life, it's like I was in touch with the thing that I was calling in, mm. but I couldn't understand mm-hmm. it like in the sequence of time. Like it was just like time mm. was oppressing and limiting. Um, mm. And then also like not even having, you know, the architecture set up to even receive the thing yet, but feeling not knowing that, you know, and feeling like, what, what the fuck life? Like, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> and then by the time, yeah, that root work, that, that structure, the foundation, and then just being there and like being ready to really receive it and being like, wow, like life is good. I understand why it didn't happen before. It wasn't ever about not being worthy. It was just simply like time and something was in motion, but my soul already knew early on, you know? And so navigating that like dynamic. Yeah, yeah, that's Phil's major Saturn wisdom, you know, from like that Saturn to that Jupiter. It's like, okay, I'll have my dessert after I've had my <laughs> my full meal, you know? Right. I, can't, oh, I won't have dessert first, then fine, you know? But yeah, yeah, wow, I love that. And then 10 of Cups, we had like a whole episode about the um, Ten of Pentacles and Ten of Cups. Um, and I loved that. That was really, <laughs> yeah, that was like spiritually opening. Like I remember like. <laughs> I love I loved our connection like with Pisces and it just like shared meditation, like Pisces energy and whatnot. Um, I love that episode too. I'm wondering if you... Um, given that Jupiter just left that Ten of Cups Deccan and whatnot, um, how you're, and I know that card, I mean, in, I know that card has come through in particular with our own like tarot time together even. Yeah. Um, and how, how you feel about, like how you feel about that card now, you know? Yeah. 
Well, thanks for asking. It is the um, <laughs> the only tarot image I have tattooed on me. I have like the rainbow ten of cups over my knee. Um, and I was inspired by that because I had, you know, there's these different moments in my life where I think one of my deepest fears is that like the dream that I'm like really um, inspired by, attached to even perhaps, like what if it doesn't come true? And like, can I accept that? Can I live, you know, like it getting that existential for me. Yeah. And so there was yeah. a moment of like despair within that, but I was at a party and I was talking to a friend and we were just talking about, you know, in this case, it was about falling in love. It was like, I just want the, the magic romance, like, and feeling like, so like angsty of like, why hasn't it come for me yet? And it's like, I'm doing everything to be, you know, available for it. Why, you know? And he just said a few really practical things about like how, you know, and in some sense that connection is a little bit like rare. It's not something that you just have with everyone. And like, all you have to do is kind of be ready for it when lightning strikes, you know, and I know that card is connected to the tower. Mm -hmm. Right. And so Mm -hmm. as he was saying this, like he was speaking, like I felt like God was channeling through him. Like every, I was hanging on every word. Like it was just like spirit speaking. Like it was, I almost felt like there could have been lightning in the sky behind us, but there wasn't, Mm. but it was just like really like (laughs) touching me that much. And then that night, I was doing this practice of like pulling three tarot cards from the writer weight to ask for like a reflection of my day so I could learn the tarot and also reflect on my day. And I got um, the 10 of cups as one of the cards. And I was just like, so struck instantly had the vision of I'm getting this as a tattoo and like, you know, there, and I got the tattoo and it took like a whole year for it to actually heal. Like, I don't understand like my skin I was like, why is my body, you know, I like said I want a 10 of cups experience and my body's like, we'll take a year to actually like absorb this ink. (laughs) Yeah, it's got to like really settle in here. Like, absolutely. And yeah, I just had like, you know, I've been having like a a, quite a massive year, like so many Mm -hmm. heights and like ecstasy, some deep challenges that I feel like I alchemized within a matter of days or weeks instead of taking years, like certain events that I feel like happened where a past version of myself would have been hung up or like really grappled for years. And then it just was this quickening of like, oh, I see this. I see my soul. I see my patterns and I don't want this anymore. Like I want this other thing. And so there was this just experience I had of like having extremely magical, synchronistic, like blessed experiences. Um, And I think of the Ten of Cups as like, you know, one thing I'll I'll share too is like I went to, um, like I engaged with plant medicine, specifically Wachuma, like six times this year, um, which is a fair (laughs) amount, you know? And like the... um, it's been profound, like what that particular plant spirit has taught me. Um, but I, I discovered this energetic within myself specifically where um, the last sit, the set of three, my prayer was around joy. Like I felt into it of like, what's my prayer? You know, and it was just like, I really just want to be happy. Like that it's that simple, you know, but I think of the 10 of cups as this vision of like ultimate fulfillment Mm. of the heart 
And I know what it's like. I know what my joy feels like. I know what it feels like to feel locked out of it or to attach it to particular experiences Mm. and then feel like, you know, and I was like, I just, you know, want it. (laughs) Like, I want to have access to it. (laughs) I want to like claim this thing, you know? And so I experienced my joy as this frequency of like it's connected to terror like absolute fear and ecstasy Mm. it's dionysian where it's like my deepest happiness has like a massive fear gatekeeper like when i said yes (laughs) to this big summer trip um the downloads Mm. were so like the synchronicity was hot it was just like you're going to Europe and you're going to be there for like 40 or 50 days, like the way that sequence, the sequence of events went. And I was simultaneously terrified. Like I had all these irrational fears of all these terrible things that would happen. And my body was running so much energy that I just had to like dance for two hours. And I then did a bunch of EFT on all my irrational fears. But then sitting with plant medicine too, I just had this experience and dreams that I had in between ceremonies of like, Terror, lightning, the tower is attached or connected to my joy. And as I was encouraged this last sit to actually get to know my fear and not try to compartmentalize it or just overwrite it of like, I'm going to do the thing anyway, even though it scares me and just like put fear to the side. That was the way I was relating Mm. to fear. It brought fear right up to my, you know, Mm. like right in front of me. And I had to like, be with it in this different way and something broke open where it was almost like instead of being in a small box with my fear and feeling so tight and constricted my world expanded into this like magic like there's like a lake and I'm like swimming with panthers and whatnot and like (laughs) the fear was just like dancing through the landscape like any other like bird or something Mm. like it was just Mm. my world expanded to hold it And now I've been tracking Mm. that, like, sometimes the things that bring me the most joy, like, there's some thorns in those rose gardens, like, (laughs) there's some, like, Mm. uh, hard, crusty layers over my heart, like, whatever it is, it's like, I used to turn away from those things because I thought, like, my joy doesn't exist there, that that looks scary over there or something. And it just Mm. kind of opened up something for me of, like, absolute ecstasy is a little bit shattering to the system and to the ego. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes mm-hmm. when I'm like so intensely happy and really having an episode, um, you know, like I've I've gone away from even identifying with someone who could be like manic. Like I don't have mm-hmm. mania per se, but I do have like heightened emotions. And I believe that mm-hmm. being told that it was mania earlier in life, like I rejected that because I was like, I don't want this system telling me I'm not allowed to have these extreme right. emotional awakenings. Like if right. I, you know, right. and so when I get in touch with profound ecstasy, that makes it so that I'm not even like a normally functioning person at that moment. It's psychedelic. Mm-hmm. Like my life opens, like mm-hmm. um, something in me changes forever potentially. And I think that it's like, mm-hmm a semi-treacherous landscape I've learned how to relate to (laughs) in the sense that, you know, the system around mental illness and mania is like, you can't, you can't have these emotions because you can't hold them. Like you're not allowed versus like, Mm -hmm. no, what if they move through me, rattle me, electrify Mm -hmm. me and I'm changed and it opens the doorway Mm -hmm. for some kind of 
you know. So those are the most extreme mm. tower moments, but it happens in smaller forms in any given day too, where I'm like feeling distrustful of someone that I love and I'm like feeling worried that like maybe our connection, you know, and then I like sit with that and it opens and then there's this deeper layer of love and joy and connection that I feel that was guarded right behind that. Like maybe I shouldn't talk to them again or like they don't love me or whatever. And I'm like, this is trippy that like deep fulfillment is so connected to like all of these gatekeepers and fears and intense like tower moments. Deep fear, this deep fear. Oh my gosh, I got so tingly, like electric listening to you, listening to all of that. Wow. That is something I definitely am trying to like, to sit, always sit with and move through the fear. You know, and there's like the position in the Celtic cross, like what you, your fear slash your dream. You know, it's like what you, what you want most is what you fear, what you fear most is like what you want. And I think of that even in like seeing a hot person at the coffee shop or something and you want to talk to them and it's like, you know, it's only the people that you're like, oh my God, like I really feel this compelling like attraction to them that you then also the fear intervenes. You're like, I can't say anything, but it's like move through the fear, you know, move through the fear because that, yeah, it's a heightened uh, that fear response can just be like an adrenaline, like it can it very martial as well, like that fight or flight kind of like response of like, um, as we're talking about dream fulfillment and world weaving and yes, all the things, but also the wish fulfillment is very like hitting a mark or like getting your, your, uh, your catch, you know what I mean? Like you're getting your game, if you will, as you're talking about earlier, like you're getting the thing. Um, and it's like that make it or break it moment or where you just like don't want to fumble or you don't want to like, Oh, it's like so. The stakes are all, so all high. Up in this, the stakes are so high. Like the clock is counting down. You know what I mean? And it's just like, are you going to make the shot at last moment? I don't even play sports. I don't know. <laughs> but that's just such a common, like, you know, kind of, kind of image of, um, of it really like climaxing towards this moment of um, where there is fear, but then there's also like maybe using that fear to as fuel, you know, in order to like give you the courage or something. Or like because of your, you even the then succeeding in being able to join with the desire, I think is even more satisfying in knowing that you had to conquer fear to get there too. Like there's something you're proud of yourself and you're like, you've expanded your capacity. Yeah, very much so. Right. Um, and that is, of course, that I think that's, a, that's like, that should be what it is to get our desires is like all of a sudden, yeah, we have these moments where like, oh, I can open that much or oh, my heart can do that much. Like, and, and if it overflows and exceeds and is manic to like authorities who are just deny us and keep us afraid of our fulfillment, afraid of, of how like ridiculous we'd realize how we would re realize how ridiculous this world is where that's just like the things they offer up for pleasure are just like these bare bone excuses of something that's um, just a fraction of what we can actually experience should we lead with our souls and follow our kind of soul compass if you will. Yeah. And it, it reminds me, I think maybe it was Hillman who talked about this, but the mm. way that um, the deepest treasures of our soul are like, we also have a lot of guarding or gatekeeping around it. And part of it is because like, we're not being so intimately connected to our own soul is not something that we necessarily have like, we don't know how to be with that power or that raw force of life at a young age per se. Like there's a degree of it that we can have access to. 
And so part of the mechanism that keeps us away from our own power is our fear. And then, you know, when we're in the process of wanting to connect with our deepest dreams, I just think like the hero in any of these mythic stories is always facing some kind of fear, whether it's like some external monster (laughs) or, you know, some internal like tragic flaw or something that's like, oh, this is going to be the thing that corrupts it all. And like, Fear is like how you know there's stakes involved. Like, you know what I mean? Like fear is like you're, you caring. Like fear is like you, if you were apathetic or ambivalent, you know, do you really want that thing? If it, it'd be probably easy to walk away from, you know, but it's just like, damn, I have to fight a dragon to get to that thing. I, I guess I got to fight a dragon then, you know, I don't want to fight a dragon to like have the 10 of cups moment. But if that's what is needed, because I can't live without that 10 of cups, then so I will, I will move through whatever's in the path, you know? Yeah. I think too of like, yeah, 10 of cups, the image of it, but then thinking about the tower is just such a, a trip and something, right? A key. (laughs) But I also think about like, I have done this thing. Like I've had this pattern in my life of like really being aware of my desire and like what I want and somehow finding a way to like receive it. But to even like, um, to call in, have a wish that's so amazing to experience it briefly and then not really to have to have it forever to the point where I'm like, well, how do I grapple with the rest of my life? Like, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> that moment, you know, and it's not, it's like the way that people talk about like addictive drugs or something where it's like you get the the most amazing high the first time and then you're always chasing that high and it's like, The way it's described is like really this tragic thing where it's like you never get it and whatever. And I feel like I've had that experience, but not with drugs, but more with like, you know, intimacy or like having like particular Mm -hmm. soulmate type connections where I'm like, wow. And then after that, I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, I don't know where to find that love drug again. It's not on demand. (laughs) And I can't (laughs) accept a life where I never experienced that again. And so even when I've like received or met a like a deep embodiment of my deepest wishes, it's shattered me to some degree. And then, or it's been like a lightning strike. Because of the ephemerality of it, because you know, I mean, and that 10 of cups is, is like an ephemeral card. You know, it's like the kids are young there. It's like how many days are you going to have with this like idyllic, like honeymoon kind of phase? Again, the season turns, the will turns like to the grapple with the death of it you know it is a big question i think in which is it better to know to love and loss or to never have loved at all you know like this age-old kind of like existential question about um our choices in the matter and that has ravaged me as well of um being in absence like being in mourning or what have you after like a moment of fulfillment or a moment of like glory um, and that's so, and I love your, your connection with the tower, of course, because the tower is Mars, you know, everyone it's, a, and then it's rules that third deck in, which is a 10 of cups of Pisces. Um, and what you're speaking of earlier, where I think like that card is so the divine, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm dropping the tower moment of like <laughs> things dropping, um, <laughs> the divine intervention, you know, and like you're, you almost have like a witness to a much higher power in that card where your own man-made structures or the prison that you've been living in, you're like, this isn't 
the world. This isn't like the end all be all final say on things. Um, but that it's like a too high of a surge, you know, it's like you call it in and then it's just like all the lights go out. <laughs> you get flung off. Like it's like you can't, it's a live wire. And that, that 10 of cups card, it's along with the moon, right? So it's not just Mars. It's, um, oh, thanks uh, for reminding me. Of uh, that. Well, the moon, well, the moon card, not the moon, the planet, exactly, no. <laughs> but the yeah. moon card. Okay. Okay. Um, which is Pisces, you know, in the tarot is the, the moon card is Pisces. Um, and so there is the linking between like the moon, the planet, the moon, the card and Pisces and like all these things. Um, and anyhow, the, the moon is thought to love us enough because we, and like, if you'll notice on the card, the figures are turned away. They're not looking at the viewer. They're not looking at you, the querent. They're looking at the rainbow. So they're not looking at the sun. They're looking at the, the way cups, yeah. that it's reflected in the Ten of Cups. Yes. Um, and so the moon is like this veiling or this shrouding. It's like a lowers the voltage of that divine like dissolution, which just explodes us and shatters us and, and as a loving force, you know, and there's like the distinction between um, that like Joseph Campbell makes that I talk about in the Tens Pisces workshop era um, of of uh, like a priest or someone who's like translating and like kind of shielding their flock from the big dick of God, you know, <laughs> and then <laughs> like you just like explode um, <laughs> or <laughs> tower, right? Um, or like the prophets and like the seekers or like the ecstatic ones who are like, give me the full dick of God, you know, like I don't need like, just give it to me raw. And they are, and there's a question between the nine and the 10 of like, are you going to stay here in your own, like, you know, outside of time, outside of space and your contemplation with the divine where it's like in a dream world, or are you going to come back to humanity? You're going to fulfill that hero's journey. It's like, you get the gold and you have like, you know, you've consummated or whatever the, the, the desire, the marriage, you're like in the post glow of it. And you're like, okay, I have to get like, you know, there's still a call to like from the rest of the world, from the sense of collectivity, which that tends are about like how, like the, the wheel of fortune in Jupiter as well. It's not just our individual desires, but coordinating everyone's oh. wishes and fulfillments. Wow. You know, okay. Uh, so many things yeah. are coming through because I, you know, <laughs> you talking about the dick of God and whatnot, I was like, oh yeah, like I've been, you know, I meditate on this concept of being fucked by life and fucking life. Like that is like yeah, a yes. major, you know, in terms of like erotic embodiment in this existence, life um, does penetrate us and it penetrates us mm -hmm. in ways of like, you know, any like way that we're receiving an onrush of life, it could be any emotion. And then how do I open to that? Like, even if it's not even necessarily, like, my preference, like, when grief, mm. you know, it's like, if I open mm -hmm. to grief and relate to it, I can make love to it, I can create something right. with it, as opposed to if it's a place where I'm unable to receive, like, nourishment or unable to be connected. But then I also think about, like, what is, like, the energetic current of sexuality or like of erotic experience. And I think that sexual energy can go toward creating, like you can create whole worlds, like people create people, you know, like there's a, there's <laughs> a creative yes. principle, right? But also sometimes um, sexual energy can go into um, almost like an eight of cups space of like just filling in the labyrinth of like, these are the energetic mm. patterns. And so I noticed that like, 
when I'm really opening to life or opening an intimacy that these, all this creative erotic energy, I do what I can to like find a way to, you know, like let it work me in this like beautiful way or like move it in some way. But like I take care not to feed it into the channels of like my karma drama pain stories where suddenly I'm like, you know, in touch with Eros and then like, let me just put it into all of my like tired neural pathways that are like paranoid or have some kind of pattern going on. And I think that that's like a form of like sex magic intelligence that isn't talked about very much. Mm. Um, But Mm. I think about Mm. somehow if we're thinking about like the tower and the 10 of cups and like these shattering experiences, if they feed back into our eight Mm. of cups labyrinth, or if we make some kind of adjustment. And one thing that recently Mm. came forward for me was like, I had an experience that was really devastating and like disappointing and heartbreaking, but like it was familiar. I was like, I've been heartbroken in this particular way before. And I don't Mm. really want it to be the same like story. Like what if this was just sensitizing me to like the next blessing in life? Or like, what if this was just Mm. an opening? And like, do I have Mm. the courage or like the capacity to just open to this situation, be with everything it's awakening in me and like keep moving forward? But if I use all this energy of this um, experience and just feed it into a familiar story of like, woe is me and this is my life and this is my lot, like I literally can't Mm. do that. I can't feed Mm. that anymore. And it was really interesting just to like have that, you know, I didn't have that capacity when I was younger. Like I, I mm-hmm. won that, mm-hmm. I feel like, <laughs> through experience. Mm-hmm. But there was something about it that felt like it was a spiritual awakening. It was an opening that came through a form that I didn't like and I wouldn't have preferred. But that's just the way mm-hmm. that it was. And so when I think about like <laughs> God and being fucked by life, it's like sometimes it's really fun and sometimes it's really not. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the Ten of Cups is like a Tantra card, really, like, you know, in very in like some traditions and like it's like one of those like hidden kind of keys of like the Tantra of sexuality, the like the Tantra where sex is the physical, right? The carnal, the flesh is united with the divine, with the spiritual and the subtle and the sublime. Um, And then the the Mars itself is thought to be this um, kind of Kundalini Shakti card as well that clears the locked unconsciousness of like your base chakras, like your root chakra, yeah. your sacral, and your um, your root, right? Um, and it's it moves through like the fear and the greed and the lust and all those things. And it's that moment where you're like, oh, like, okay, I have to have a, like, it's a straight shoot to the heart, you know, often. Um, and so it's a clearing thing. There is so, so there, so there is in the path of, like, that is a valid, obviously, form of enlightenment or path of enlightenment is, sexuality but then with that comes yes these like energetic charges we are like you gotta really open me up first before you think about sticking that in you know what i mean <laughs> like you're just like hold on here that's what are we, what are we doing here you know and then and then sometimes it's sometimes there is pain involved but again it's like this pain in the pursuit of pleasure you know it's a different thing of um there's not a narrative of like this is punishment or this is like shameful or suffering or whatnot you're like okay hurt me a little bit because I know you're not hurting me to like punish me or to abuse me, but in order to like bring me to new levels of ecstasy, you know? And like, as you can like um, 
and the wheel also it's like this it's a wheel like it's a motor and so as you can take that kind of initial pain which for me pain is i mean it is a sense thing and i've definitely i've like broken bones i've been in accidents like i've experienced like intense physical pain but there's always like a threshold of like um in certain aspects of like when pain becomes pleasurable you know at that point or when it's like your just initial like judgment of a certain sensation calling you is like is it really pain or is this like really something that you can relax into and and again be brought to like a new level of or yeah. orgasm you know when i think about <laughs> the tower can be orgasm yeah when i think about life like life okay like god right and god is like this spiritual energy that infuses everything i think about life as very terrestrial it's like if you go into mm. the jungle and there's like tarantulas and jaguars and like like life is very mm. confronting life is intense in certain expressions mm. of it if you go to the tundra mm-hmm. you know or you're like high up in some like a snowy mountain it's a different form of life it's a cold or yeah. you know a constriction but like life i feel like is very sensual very embodied and very confronting and like the ways that yeah we feel confronted by it it's like that is a is a reflection of our relationship with it in some sense. Like trying to mm. unfold that a little bit more in the sense that like sometimes people talk about how like anytime we feel pain, there's something already there that's like receptive to that being painful. And so when something rubs up against a core wound, it's like it just activated something that was already there. That's like one way potentially mm. of looking at it. But I feel like life will continually offer invitations to heal, to confront, to reckon, to open. And there's a way of like, how am I participating in that? Or how am I closed off to life? Or how am I fighting life? Or how am I collaborating and playing with life? Mm. And just that existential meditation of that relationship has been, you know, a huge part. Absolutely. I mean, I think like, as you, I hear you sort of in knowing you and our, in our, you know, the conversations of our beautiful friendship, um, articulate this kind of point from different ways. Like I hear you kind of pivoting or sphering around it, if you will, of a magic of the spheres also, <laughs> Hey, um, <laughs> of like psyche also like the psyche and arrows kind of journey and something that is like, yeah, I remember you were reading my own psyche and arrows in my chart and like struck me like lightning. Um, in discussing how her sensitivity, like this thing that she was so wounded around, like this hypersensitivity that just was like, oh, I'm so sensitive to like the first sensation is pain. You know, that's often the loudest sensation when you have like a sensitive instrument, you know, um, the pain is going to be like that just takes time and it takes learning of your instrument, of your own defenses, of, of discernment, all the things of like, okay, that's, I'm, I don't want to feel that. Or I need to like control and like have boundaries of where I'm, putting myself like spiritually, emotionally or what have you, because I'm so sense, soul sensitive, um, but that it becomes redeemed. You know, that sensitive sensitivity is like the thing that allows her fulfillment. It, it's, re- it's the thing that she was shamed for. I'm sure you could say it much better, but you know, everyone judged her. Like um, it felt like a curse initially, her own beauty, her own sensitivity that then was like, again, on the other side of the fear, you know, on the other side of it, it's really the whole enchilada just inverted like it's just like this inversion point and i think that's head of cups is when well we know it's like in various decks it's when psyche has her sort of second marriage or second union with eros consciously after going through hell after dying after like 
you know, and returning to love again, renewed, um, and at, and at an equal level, you know, with arrows. Mm. And so like, that just makes like Psyche and arrows always makes me think of you as well. Oh, thanks for bringing that in. (laughs) (laughs) I keep thinking about those myths and they like touch me so much and keep becoming part of metaphors of like everything. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Very ten of cups. Like it's you're you're so ten of cups in so many so so many ways. <laughs> oh, that's a high compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I love the card, you know, and it's just it's just really opened up a lot to think about that card in relationship to the tower and the moon. Thank you for reminding me about that because that just opened up so much and just like mm-hmm. yeah, like even since the last time we spoke about it. I'm curious, like, for you, too, like, how how you've been relating to that card since. Mm, I mean, I see that card as a kind of queer excess. Um, I also was thinking about when you were talking of the gatekeepers to our dreams and to our desires is the Ten of Pentacles and that there is a very noted, like, guard before that older figure who's, like, doling out the... Um, the will, you know, or like the 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 generational wealth that they're right. like, okay, who here's what who gets what, right? Um, versus like the ten of, and so they're very much in the city. They're very much established. Like they're in society, and that ten of cups, alternatively for me, is like they're off on the countryside. Like they're in their own little bubble in their own little world. They're self sufficient. They're like we've got love, you know, we've got our we've got each other. Like there's something there's a contrast there, you know, and I, I also like thinking about that, that sort of that you've been ringing up. Um, I, I feel that I feel that access to it. Like I recently pulled that card, another magical card too. And, um, it's this invitation to participate in a sense of belonging, even if you don't have the full realization of like I, I do, like you know, I do want a committed romantic partnership. I do want to experience like a tantric kind of union with someone, and I do realize that that's like a rare type of connection that might take a while to arrive and whatnot. I want a queer family and whatnot on top of my family, um, but I still pull that card, you know, and I'll go to the beach and I'll feel enclosed in like that space time, a sense of belonging. Like I still am able to participate and have my cup filled from that magic and like, yeah, maybe it's increasing my capacity for like it fully, for not being so afraid of it, you know, and like the full way I want it. Um, I pulled it and like went to a new coffee shop and I just had a sense, I just knew that they would be playing music that day. Um, And when I walked in, it was kind of dead, it was kind of empty and I just sat down and they had like a vegan gluten-free donut, which I was like, oh my God, okay, cool. Like worth it coming here. Um, And then sure enough, like this, this, Literal, like uh, this couple with their young daughter and their like infant baby, like they booked a local player who had the most beautiful buttery voice and high falsetto and was just like putting on a private show for us basically at the coffee shop. And it was so literally 10 of cups. And I was like, not in the family. And uh, you know what I mean? But I kind of was just in sharing the moment and like being there a part of this, this really wholesome moment too, where it was just like so stirring to even see the couple they're like culturing their young children, like exposing them to like live music and just like that being something that they value and orient around. Um, and then to the singer who was just like, you know, I'm a singer, singer kind of gal, Mariah, a fan over here. And so I was just 
appreciating the talent of this person. Um, and it was a sense of like wholesomeness, but then also multi-generational kind of quality in there and just a sense of collectivity like with one's natural environment that um, that sense of belonging feels like my soul. Like I felt so inspired artistically. I felt so like magic in the air. Whereas we spoke about with that 10 of pentacles before, that is literally like the bread on the table in a sense of, of feeling belonging. Like here's my shelter, like here's my bed, like, you know, here's a meal. And those are all valid, obviously, um, and needed. But that Ten of Cups, it's just like, here's a portion of the soul. Like, you know, here is some like, like, it's just great. I don't know how to, it's just like we all, it's impersonal, you know, or it's like there's a sense of like, I didn't need to know them like on an intimate level, but there was an intimacy that we partook, we all partook of by being in that moment, moment together. Mm. Um, and that's sort of just how I've been relating to the card lately. It's so yeah. beautiful. I love like the moments where that card shows up in the environment and like actually like the feeling quality of it is, is just like this sudden unexpected delight and like everything just comes together in this like overflowing moment of celebration and it's like really beautiful and it is ephemeral too but there's a sense mm -hmm. of like the way it changes and touches us like every time. Cause I, mm -hmm. yeah, when I think about certain moments where I've seen it in my environment, it, it does impress my memory where it's like, mm -hmm. it's painted there and it lives there forever potentially, you know, or it comes mm -hmm. back as a moment of lightning, as a memory recall, like later on. I'm like, mm -hmm. that moment was mm -hmm. ephemeral, but it's still like having its lightning flashes over and over again. And there was mm -hmm. just something about mm -hmm. it that was like, picturesque and soulful and magical and sublime. Mm, mm. And um, I think a reminder is we veer away that like, it's a reminder of your own capacity for fulfillment sometimes too, which I think we can be so far away from that we're like, was I ever happy? Like, was there ever a wish that came true? You know, when you're in the thick of it or you're on just another part of the journey and you're like, oh wait, like, yeah, I can recall and be like, you can, um, I love thinking of the cards as, like yes of course frames and lenses for like the lovers i'm like okay let's just look at your life through the lens of your lovership like who you are as a lover like we could make a whole movie a whole a whole you know narrative like we could just paint your picture through just you as a lover and whatnot and so um that ten of cups is like this card that stores all of our records of belonging and magic and fulfillment and you know all of those good things um and that it just keeps building and hope. And that's why I love working with the cards because they become these catalogs of my own personal lived experience, but also my like esoteric research and study and um, and communal experiences and whatnot too. And so I, I like always tell my students <laughs> um, to, to look for the fulfillment, like to use the cards as cues. And so if I pull the 10 of cups, um, typically I'm trying, will make a point that day, especially now given my context um, to go to the water. To go to the beach like that might mean a bath but typically it means like going to the beach or going to like a some art soulful kind of like you know for me art and soul are like one in the same my venus jupiter conjunction um, so i'd recommend if you pull that card if you can like have a beach day yeah <laughs> it might just be the healing you need you have such a beautiful well. and inspiring relationship to the tarot like i mean even just the way that the cards 
through like the regular practice of contacting them start to pick up associations and memories and they start to weave and infuse into life in this way that like really builds a connection to the divine, right? Like to the other realms Mm. or like to, you know, like we're like seeking like divination as a conversation with the universe and we're getting like Mm. messages about how to, you know, like I love to ask in the morning, like, what do I need to know today? Or like, how can Mm -hmm. I like be connected to life and rooted in my essence or whatever I'm asking? And to like actually receive these codes every day and then to, as you pull that card, and this is something I've picked up from you too. It's like you, you're pulling the card in the moment, but you also have your own catalog of all the experiences that you've built with it. Um, So I think the way that you talk Mm -hmm. about the tarot, the way that you live it, the way that you teach it is this really beautiful example of like, really creating so much beauty and like so much intimacy with life um, with this spiritual tool. Thank you. I love the tarot so deeply. Um, I love the practice. As you're speaking, you reminded me of another 10 of cups moment. I drew it one day um, and I wasn't, I was like, okay, like how is this going to show up today? And it didn't show up till the afternoon. And I took a walk around my block and it was the most literal 10 of cups picturesque moment. There was like a family. It's always like me, honestly, observing the 10 of cups moment. <laughs> um, and there was a family with like, it was literally just so picturesque, like typical 10 of cups, beautiful day. And I think had I not pulled that card previously, I would have been less sensitive to that moment. I might've just like walked by with like unknowing, but as soon as I saw them and witnessed, and there was just like, it was uncanny again, to see sort of like a family enjoying <laughs> themselves and each other. I mean, given like the holidays and whatnot, I know family issues come up for people, but they were just like so joyful with their dog and playing games and like everyone was there. And I was like, oh my God, 10 of cups. And it was a very mundane moment. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like, like I met my person or whatever, but like I, I had that knowing that that was what the card was speaking to. Like I know that I saw that coming. I know that that was the, that was the evidence of the communication with the divine that made my mundane magical. And it like, even just for that moment, it's worth it to me to have a tarot practice or to have a divination practice um, because it evidences the divine communication. It increases our capacity so that it's not just showing up in these like huge devastating like tower pivotal moments of your life, but also in the like the softness and the dailiness, like, yeah, the line is on, like, yeah, we spoke today, you know, it, it doesn't need to be like this, like heavy, right. <laughs> you know, soul thing yeah, every single day. It can just that. be like, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, I want to so share yeah. a 10 of cups moment that I had in life. Like, yes. and now I'm getting this other layer of it too, that I wasn't fully seeing before, but I was at a friend's um, apartment in New York. Um, when I was there at the beginning of this long summer trip that I took, um, where I was gonna go to Europe and stopped in New York for a little bit. And I began this trip with like a random ankle injury that I didn't even do anything really dramatic. I was just walking one day and like kind of like stumbled a little bit. And the next day my Mm. ankle was like lightly sprained. And I was like, what the fuck? I'm about to go on like a really long trip and I can hardly walk. And I just started to read it as a spiritual thing and not purely physical. And I did this whole like inner journey and I had this like um, a lot of like rigidity and pain in my body that I had been trying to manage by foam rolling and stretching and whatever for years. And I was like, Mm. it was something I'd tried to manage physically. And so finally, Mm. because of the symbolism of like 
I can hardly walk and I'm about to go on like a Europe trip. So what's going on? And I had this whole inner vision and it showed me like the part of my psyche that was like afraid of this big adventure, like all getting like sent to my ankle. And I did this whole big like shamanic thing with it. Then I'm like in New York, my friend at her apartment, she has a roommate who I'm with my friend in the backyard, this beautiful Brooklyn backyard that's just like gorgeous. It's a beautiful day. It's hot out. Um, And the roommate's boyfriend comes out to the backyard and he's out there first. And then the roommate jumps, like she comes running towards the boyfriend, runs into his arms um, and then there's like a dog like running around them too. <laughs> yes. And in yeah. this moment of like their like ecstatic like reunion, that was just like also like a yeah. casual, you know, they hadn't been apart. They were just expressive and honeymoony like that. I was mm. like, this is so ten of cups. And as I continued mm. to like hang out there, I noticed that this woman who had run into her boyfriend's arms, like her embodiment was so loose. Like she could just kind of like splay herself or like we were on the couch and she even like cuddled with me and was like talking to me in this like really intimate way. And I didn't even know her. And I was like, I like this. Like she's so open to life. Like I wish I could be like her right now, but my body is like very tense and rigid. And like, that's just where I'm at kind of thing. And as I went on this trip, I felt like the, um, rigidity started to molt off of me and I found suddenly this like looser, freer, more erotic embodiment within myself. Um, And I thought of her and I remembered like I saw her that day and she was like this lightning moment to me where something about her energy, I was like, I really want to connect with that. Like I love how like free and spacious she just seems in her body. Um, And And I love that you were like, you were like, you weren't quite there in terms of like bodily relaxation ability but you were still there do you know what I mean and I think that like that's our natural desires it's like you know what I might be afraid and still like have work to do but like you're still looking at it you know what I mean let's like you still can't turn away from like what it is you really want and doesn't that happen like with the ten of cups because I feel like you know people get inspired by couples or like picturesque kind of like Mm. family scenes and they're just like wow like I want that kind of thing like it does <laughs> Full on, it yeah. does you know uh, leave an impression on people when they see that mm. yeah absolutely um yeah totally totally i mean i think and it's that softening of like there's even a lesson like of indra which we spoke about in the last ten of cups ten of pentacles episode um but he sort of is like so humbled before thinking that he was like all powerful, all creator, you know, hero, save the day um, to just sort of wanting to like bow and just be in like, like kind of finding a truth and like devout to the desire and surrender before God. And then his wife comes in and is like, don't think about leaving me here behind. Like you still have a duty to people. Like there's like, it kind of pulls the back, like pulling you back to society the way that family does. And, um, he was tempered by her, you know, and that card is like a very temperance kind of card. Like there is, um, there's that like soulful inner desire, which often that eight of cups journey sees us leaving past relationships behind, sees us leaving the known, sees us leaving, you know, institutions and whatnot. And often being pilgrimage, like hermetic in the sense of being like a hermit, um, 
but it's that's not the the reason is not to like pull us away from society, but in order to find like our soul center so that we we are with people and with community, we're like with them. You know, we're really there. We're really sharing of ourselves because that is um, like even your presence there. Like I'm saying, like you were in that 10 of cups, like there's that sense of like the the family we're seeing or that sense of community we're seeing is not limited to the nuclear family you know, or what have you. It's like, oh no, like you were a kin in that moment. And I think that card is a card of like kin where you're like, um, you're just, you, yeah, you, you're, it's stirring in you because it's true in you, that sense of belonging and family desire. Mm. Yeah. Well, for everyone listening, you have an amazing body of work. You have like live teachings, live cohorts and like these tens workshops. So can you tell us how people can <laughs> yes. find you and connect with your offerings? Yes. Thank you so much. I'm, I love building a body of work. I'm so excited for like the queue of like what's on the books for next year. But anyhow, um, literally today I opened enrollment for Tatatis, which is, um, it's a 10 week course in the minor arcana and you can participate, you can chunk them. So you don't have to do the full thing. If you sign up for like the full going through all of the suits, you get two extra classes, which are focused on student demonstrations and also the daily pull. Like it's more altar kind of ritual relationship. Um, but we'll spend two weeks on each suit. So like, you know, we'll go through the ace through the five of wands one week and then the six or the ten of wands. And we're keeping them to the pips. And the card, is, the class, um, which you've, you've like done the pentacles one, it's like the, um, we'll look at like historical like pictorializing the pips is how I like to think of it. So we're giving like some image referential basis for some of the, like the iconic right away imagery that is maybe harder to decipher without that kind of um, kind of art history perspective and knowledge. And then we're also seeing modern images across like different media and films and whatnot. And so hopefully like really expansive world building and like intertextuality um, and that's open. And so it's like, again, two weeks, you know, you can sign up it, making it more accessible. So you can sign up for any one, um, and then if you sign up for all of them, you get two extra classes and whatnot. Um, I have thresholds now for like solo study where you can buy individual classes or you can buy a bundle deal. Tens is in session, so it's not, it's, which is so amazing. Also, I love it, by the way. Um, that will open for enrollment soon enough, but you can also buy any individual like workshop on the decans of the Zodiac Wheel. So you can like, you know, and the cards that are associated with it, or you can buy the bundle deal and do your own self-paced deck and walk and whatnot. Um, and so like in that, you'd hear my own lecture, have my workbook and like spread prompts for the um, eight, nine, 10 of cups for Pisces or the eight, nine, 10 of pentacles for Virgo, um, yeah, for Virgo and whatnot, um, and just the whole wheel. Um, yeah, and those are, I have, yeah, just on the red, we, the red read.com, excuse me, red, R-E-D, and then R-E-A-D.com. Um, and on Instagram at the red read as well. And I, I just love tarot. I love divination. I love talking to such soulful friends such as you. So thank you so much for having me on here. I'm so honored. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> thank you. I love talking to you. And I just got like a Facebook notification of a memory of ours from like a year ago of like hanging out here in Portland <laughs> and having our own like cosmic, synchronistic, magical experience. I'm just like so grateful for your friendship and all your magic and everything I've gotten to learn from you. And the just magical portal that opens up when I talk with you or we get to like look at the magic of the world together through all of these symbols and be able to see the same thing or like 
yeah, it's just truly sublime. I'm so just endlessly grateful. Thank you. I, <laughs> I feel the excitement. I'm glad to, to that we can share our shared um, sort of revelations with with the community as well. And so like, I definitely thank you to everyone who listens. Thank you all for participating and like being here in our in our community. This is real 10 of cups space between Sabrina's offerings and, and classes and worlds and mine. And so, um, yeah, thank, thank you again. <laughs> My heart. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, everyone. It's been so magical to have my relationship with these cards infuse my understanding of Pisces and vice versa, right? Like even that eight of cups has really come up to me like in readings or with friends that have placements in that first decan of Pisces because I can see the way that, you know, they're working to, to understand the nature of the maze or the labyrinth that one is inside, right? Like even karmically, like what are our patterns and, um, right? It's like the image of tracing one's fingers on the wall inside of a maze that you know, like by your fingertips at night with your eyes closed and you're starting to understand the structure of that which you are contained inside of. And that actually gives me a lot to think about for how, you know, sometimes Pisces, there's a lot of disillusionment. We get, um, you know, on these like big spiritual openings and then we come down hard, you know, there's the ecstasy and there's the despair and then this sense of like, but why, but how, and why is this the pattern that I'm in? And it becomes like the way that the spiritual path or the spiritual journey is acting through our own patterns and our own life of like, why is this, why is this my life or the thing that I'm doing and how can I awaken? Um, yeah. So that's what I'm just thinking about now. Um, but I'm seeing like with connecting tarot and astrology, the ways that it these ideas and reflections change and open over the months. Like it's really, um, it creates interiority, which is something that I feel Christopher has said, um, you know, or would say, I'm pretty sure they said it, but a sense that the study of tarot, right? And I feel this way with astrology as well. It creates, it expands our inner universe. And so there's something very uh, uh, like sensual about it. Like it feels like, delightful to me. Um, and Christopher's question at some point in the episode helps me to see how much my understanding of the Ten of Cups has radically deepened also, like even just from how I related to it two years ago or a year ago to now. I do have to say, though, I thought about this. <laughs> Sometimes as words leave my lips, they die right? Like I say something and I'm like, hmm, I'm not sure that's it anymore. So I'm beginning to wonder if my philosophy on being fucked by life and fucking life is simply crass. Crass, okay? Those words echoed in my head after in a way that I didn't really like. Um, I started to have that thought because of this time of feeling, you know, quote, fucked by life. And my friend in a moment where I was feeling really wrecked, um, which even that word or that languaging just feels additionally crass here, said that I just had to, 
you know, fuck life back. And in a moment, I like this is honestly so nerdy that I'm even like, you know, going into this. So just indulge me. But in a moment of feeling so overwhelmed at all the sensations of life, this meditation, right, this very crass languaging empowered me to participate in the journey that I was on. But I'm not like sure how well it translates um, because as I said, it just sounds crass now as I think about it. And I'll be thinking of more subtle and poetic ways (laughs) to say the same thing. Um, I mean, even simply to allow oneself to be affected by life, right? To not have too stubborn a personal matrix, a personal ego structure. And then from the place of receiving life, from a place of receptivity to life, participate and really offer oneself to life. That's also the vibe, you know, but whatever. You live and learn. Remember to check the links in the bio to learn more about Christopher's offerings, my availability for astrology readings, and Dragon of the Moon and Evolutionary Astrology Initiation. Thank you.